Hi everyone, uh, this is Makers and Shakers. It's a podcast about the hardware industry where we get enthusiasts and engineers and inventors to come in and just talk to the global community about things that, just all the things that happen in the industry from building to marketing to running a business and just having stuff to do in the hardware industry. So our speaker today is Trevor Skeen, who's the co-founder and CEO of Patent Hacks which is an online education platform designed to teach inventors and creators how to draft, search, and file patent applications. And I think it's pretty great. I've just started learning about it. So I'm just going to let Trevor build off from there. Hey, Trevor, how are you doing? Hey, it's uh, good to be here. It's nice to meet you. Um, it's fun. Uh, my name is Trevor Skeen. Uh, and as you mentioned, I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Patent Hacks. Um, it's, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background about me and then I'll tell you kind of, you know, how we created Patent Hacks and why we created it. So basically, uh, my degree is in mechanical engineering uh, with a minor in physics. I graduated from a, a college in northeastern Pennsylvania in the U.S. called uh, Wilkes University. Uh, and basically, being a mechanical engineer, I always had different invention ideas. You know, the, the project I worked on on my senior project was a portable concussion assessment device. Uh, and when I was younger, I had an idea for, for kind of like a GPS system to find loose keys and stuff like that. Um, but every time I looked into, you know, find like, how can I build a business around this invention? I'd run into the same problem of, you know, whenever I look into patents, it would cost tens of thousands of dollars, $20,000. And, uh, you know, that was very cost prohibitive for me as somebody who's in high school or college, I don't have that kind of money to spend on a patent application. Yeah. Um, and most people don't. So after I graduated from college, I went on and I, I got a job working for a company called Scott's or called uh, uh, Global Patent Solutions out in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, there I was federally contracted to work for the USPTO. So I was a patent analyst and my job was to allow and reject patent applications. Okay. So as I got that experience in the industry, I started thinking about it more and more and thinking like, hey, it would be really nice if there was an opportunity, an entry level opportunity for everyday inventors and students to get into the into the intellectual property space and to be able to earn patents without spending tens of thousands of dollars. So I, I uh, went to the president and CEO of the company I was working uh, for at the time. And I've kind of pitched them that idea. And that is what turned into Patent Hacks. So Patent Hacks was born out of our, our, our goal of creating, making patents more affordable for the everyday person. So that's what we built Patent Hacks. Um, that's kind of like the foundation we built it on. And Patent Hacks is a patent education platform where we walk people through the four pillars, which are the four most important steps, searching, drawing, drafting, filing. So starting off with the prior art search, making sure your invention is new and different from anything else that exists, going on to prototyping and building out your patent drawings, starting to really figure out how, what it looks like, how it functions, all that, moving on to drafting the patent application and then filing it. And we have step-by-step -step guides and real life examples every step of the way. To, tr to really try to make it doable for anybody. We tried to write it in a way that anybody could understand it. We have like hover over definitions for any complicated patent specific terms. Um, Cause sometimes it's unavoidable to use terms that are patent specific. Yeah, but yeah you got to do that, yeah. Yep, but in general, we just tried to make it as simple and easy to understand for the everyday person as possible. Okay, that's really interesting. So what I'd like to kick off with, like this is really interesting because I, I'm really bad when it comes to patents. So what I want to learn about is how do like how does the patenting process 
differ for say an industry professional or someone who works for a large organization versus an amateur enthusiast that's that's actually a great question so the biggest difference is they usually have really really good patent attorneys working on it and i i think obviously patent attorneys aren't a scam patent attorneys know what they're doing um, but they cost a lot of money and there's no guarantee that they're going to get you a patent so sometimes you spend tens of thousands of dollars and then it you know when all said and done they're like ah sorry we couldn't get you the patent and you spent all that money and you didn't actually ever get anything out of it so what i learned in working in the patent industry myself and being the person that allows and rejects patents is yeah when I would work on a patent for Walmart or for Pepsi, it's bulletproof. I couldn't reject it if my life depended on it. But every single other patent that wasn't one of those major corporations, I could reject 90% of it in my sleep. So the biggest, the biggest difference between the large companies and everybody else is the large companies take the time and they really make sure that their patent applications are bulletproof. Every other company we'll just hire a patent attorney and assume that that patent attorney is going to do a good job. And that's kind of the biggest proof of concept for, for patent hacks was, okay, if I'm working in the patent industry and I could reject patent applications prepared and filed by patent attorneys every single day of my life, why couldn't the everyday person generate a patent application that could be just as successful? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you mean, because you think about it and we've got so many, like if you just go around on, engineering firms and you see so many smart ideas you see this community that's thriving with ideas and they just aren't able to build a business around it and then suddenly a few years later you've got smaller companies coming out or bigger companies coming out with those same ideas and you're like oh you know maybe those people would have died maybe i could have done maybe you could have done it all of those things come out so how does patent tax uh, fit into say helping these smaller entities like you know individual inventors or small teams or even students on like starting from say having like a rough idea to saying, hey, here's how you can go around using that idea to build a business. Like how does patent hacks slot into that? So we actually have, we have a form, like a, a pre-made form that's kind of geared more towards that. So we have two different products. We have our learning center, which is the whole, you know, big functions a lot like an ebook. And it's really yeah. just a massive learning tool to take you through everything you possibly need to know about the searching, drawing, drafting, filing. But we also have this separate one-off form that's called an invention development form. And it does a lot of basically what you're asking about right there. It takes you from like, we start off and we're like, hey, let's document some things. Let's get a name. Let's get who are the inventors down. Cause that's relevant information that you need when you're preparing your patent application. But when you get deeper into the form, it starts asking you to think through like, okay, so what are some preferred materials that you'd want to use? What's are some preferred layouts, some designs? the shape, the, you know, the size, because what happens is it, it, it feels very scary and overwhelming for a lot of people when you yes. just think of the big picture. So it'll be like, Oh, I have an idea. I'll use one of my former ideas. You'd be like, Oh, I have a portable, con I have an idea for portable, portable concussion assessment device. And I, I see what I want to do with it, but how do I get from here to there? Yeah. And really the only way to do it is to, to take it in smaller steps each, each and every day. You know, you, you have to kind of think to yourself like, okay, well, before I could file a patent or before I could even start prototyping, I have to start like visualizing what I want to do. So you could start sketching things out, start, start an inventor's notebook, um, start documenting some of your preferred 
um, concepts. So you have, usually you have the idea, you know, generally what you want to do. For, for me, the portable concussion assessment device was part of a senior project. So all we had was that, that, that sentence, like it's a portable concussion assessment device. It should be able yeah. to be moved anywhere. And, and you get that sentence and you're like, okay, so now we have to start thinking to ourselves, like, how might that work? Okay. We have to, we have to sense pressure. Um, cause ours was, was based off of how, how, um, how someone holds themselves still. So we were taking baseline readings on our on our device that we created to identify how how uh, well could somebody hold themselves still, and then after spinning around or doing whatever to prove the concept, they'd step back on, and obviously they'd hold themselves a lot less still, and you'd be able to see that in the data. So, how do you get from that idea to actually building it? You just start to break it down, like I said, in kind of simple bite-sized pieces. So you might start off and say, okay, you know. I see on a piece of paper, I got to create a portable concussion assessment device. So how are we going to do that? We got to measure, um, you know, the tiniest of little differences in how well someone's going to hold themselves still. So we're going to need to do some sort of sensors to sense that you start kind of building out, you know, your idea of like, how's this going to work? And generally when people have an idea, they understand how it's going to work. A lot of people have ideas and are just like, oh, that would be cool, but I have no idea how to but, do it. Yeah. So how and do you move from, yeah. So how do you move from like something like that to the business? Like, you know, you're thinking about the idea, but how are you thinking about, you know, commercializing or maybe how are you thinking about it more than just something you want to build to something you want to build for other people? Like where, where does that switch in thinking happen? I think like that's kind of what I'm interested in finding out. So I, you might have to clarify the question because maybe I'm thinking of it oh, wrong, but yes. So it's but, something around lines. So say, Hey, so, you know, you have, you have this portable concussion device. When do you think about it from something that you built for yourself and, you know, to something like, Hey, this is something I could build and sell, you know, as a business, where does that switch happen? Where do you get that magic moment saying, Hey, this is something I could sell. I, I think that comes from, um, you know, studying the market we, yeah. we, in the U S um, American football is very popular. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, uh, the NFL had just been sued for hundreds of millions of dollars by their former players who are dealing with yeah. uh, brain injuries over time. So there's things like that where you say, oh, okay, there's an absolute need in the market. If I could create something that solves their problem, there's my way in. So usually that um, answer to that question is you find – market. So if somebody, if somebody just comes up with an idea because they're just living their life and they have an idea, um, it's usually a little bit different than if you actually study a market and try to yeah. find a solution for a specific problem. The person that's just an everyday person that has an idea, if they have an idea, it's usually born out of some experience they've had. And they're like, oh, I wish I could have some simpler thing for that. You really just have to prove the market to yourself. So you, you either go out there and you do research. Um, you just hop on Google or something like that. Yeah. And you search, um, to see if something similar to what you have already exists, or you see if you could find kind of like you were talking about earlier, where there's engineering forums, there's a lot of forums, especially with things like Reddit nowadays, yeah. where you could find if there's other people similar to what you're talking about. Um, it'd be easy to hop into a forum like that and to say, Hey, um, you know, I had this idea, would anybody, you know, would anybody be interested in this? Like, would this be something that would actually bring value to your life? And that you kind of need that customer feedback in the beginning. If you have no idea, Yeah. Um, you really just have to kind of go out there and do the research and, you know, have market validation type stuff, where you're just trying to prove that there 
are people out there that actually want to pay money for the solution that you could provide. Yeah, I think Aussie, Aussie rules football would definitely need a device like that because there's been reports of concussions among players here for like several years. I think it's just a big one big lawsuit away. Like we, we don't know when that'll happen, but who knows? So one thing I want to build on from here is because we're mostly interested in like electronics hardware. So in your experience, like what sort of pain points have specifically like the hardware industry inventors faced when trying to, you know, build patents, trying to figure out, hey, where do I want to take my business? Because with software, I think it would be a bit different rather than with just hardware design because you have to maybe patent the design, the PCB, and maybe other components on it. Like, is that kind of what my understanding is? Yeah, with um, with hardware, actually, it's easier to pivot than with software. Oh, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, so with software, um, the, the thing with software is you actually can't really get a patent for software unless there's something super unique about it or i guess i shouldn't say can't but it's it's diff it's much more difficult to do okay. um as, as far as the patentability requirements there's four requirements that any invention has to hit to be considered patentable and that's that it has to be a statutory uh, subject matter which means in other words it's, it has to be patentable subject matter so a process yeah. a machine an article of manufacture or composition of matter it has to be useful it has to be non-obvious um and uh so, and basically the, the most important thing about this is the subject matter. Um, but most inventions fall under that. And then the most, the second most important thing is the non-obvious. Um, but with software, what happens in the, um, in the patentable subject matter uh, section is that once you start getting into like an abstract concept or something that doesn't have a clear process to it, then it's easier for some somebody at the uh, patent office to say, yeah, you're, you're, you're starting to get out of the realm of something that we consider patentable. And this is specific to the US patent office. Um, you know, some places might have slightly different, uh, you know, answers to those questions, but my, um, my expertise is with yeah. the United States patent office because that's the one I worked for. Um, but with hardware, if you do your prior art search, if you're looking into, you know, everything that you need to do to actually give yourself the confidence that the invention doesn't already exist, when you're looking into that, you actually have the opportunity with hardware to add additional unique features. And that could be there with software as well. But oftentimes, you know, let, let's, let's give an example because that gives it a little bit more context. If yeah. you're, what, what, give me an example of something specific that you might, that you might see in the electronic hardware um, field. Yeah. So if you want to build something, for instance, say someone wants to automate a robot at home, like they want to build a custom Roomba, for instance, how, how would they okay. go about patterning that and make sure it's different enough from say a typical Roomba to not have issues? Right. So perfect example. So if you look and let's say you're just building the traditional robot that, that we know that's yeah. just like a humanoid robot. Yeah. If you look and you find that there's an already a patent out there that patents that humanoid robot, yeah. All you have to do to make it different is add some sort of additional unique functionality and features to it um, to differentiate it. So let's say somebody has a humanoid robot already that just like acts like a human. It could walk, it could, you know, talk a little bit or whatever. If you were to be able to, let's say, kind of attach some sort of drone type device to the back yeah. of it, and now your humanoid robot 
can fly it could work like a drone and now it could take off and fly over you know let's say it's doing chores around your house and yeah. the other one's just walking around on the ground and now you add like the drone type of situation to it so now yours can fly up in the air and dust off your fans or something like that yeah you've now created a new unique feature to that that functions differently than what's known in the existing patent prior art so that's kind of the the biggest way that you can work around it um, but there is actually another way that I like to talk about, which is really just focusing on, on specific details. So when we start to talk about putting together a patent application, you either modify your invention to make it completely unique and different from anything else that exists, or you modify your patent application strategy, which let's say the existing robot is a humanoid robot and they say, you know, it's got two legs, it's got two arms, it's got five fingers, and they're starting to just claim yeah. those specific things. You might say, all right, well, maybe if I add two more legs to it, I could give it additional stability or something like that. If they've only claimed two legs, you can say mine has a plurality of legs and then, you know, further describe it and say mine has four legs. And you could yeah. start building your patent application to be more specific in detail than the other one. Now, the trade-off there is that the more specific you make your patent application, the less patent rights you generally have. You, the more broad it is, the more broad it is, you know, the more patent rights you yeah. have. It's easier for someone else to infringe on it and all that kind of stuff. So, you want a broad patent, but if you think you've got the thing that's super unique and this is the best way to do it, um, the example I give for that is like, you know, sometimes you have something like, um, like a gear on a bike and maybe you've realized that when the gear on the bike has seven spikes on it, like seven, um, you know, of seven speed you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Like, like once it's got like seven, uh, prongs on it, yeah. that is like the optimal number because it lets you shift gears like the most efficient. Yeah. That's a specific situation where it might be beneficial for you to say mine has seven prongs because you've realized that that is what makes it optimal. But generally but you would just- Got it. You so know, the idea you wanna, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, but what ideally you're saying is that if your use case is very specific and you've realized that it is, that is when you wanna make sure your patent is specific, otherwise, a broader one helps you not get infringed or you get paid when someone gets infringed. I'm a bit unclear on that one. Uh, you're a little bit unclear on how the patent infringement works. Yeah. Okay. I could go into that, but I'll address, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. address the other question first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's always good to have a broad patent. It's never bad to have a broader patent, but what I'm saying is you can use some of your claims sometimes, or mm -hmm. if you look in your field and you see that, you know, something similar to your invention already exists. So you recognize like, okay, if I, if I go broad here, there's no possible way I get a patent because I could see it already exists. If you say, I can't change what I'm doing because my whole invention functions on this one feature, then it's better to get more specific because you know, if I go broad, my patent will get rejected. I can't make any modifications. So now my only option is to get specific in what I'm doing that's slightly different than what exists. And I know that I'll get a patent application for that. I'll get a patent for that, but it'll just be more specific. So I'll have less patent rights. 
So what do the patent rights mean? What do they do? Basically, patent rights are just giving you the opportunity to say, hey, this is mine. And if somebody else creates something that's too similar to yours, then you have the right to tell them cease and assist, stop making that, you, you know, whatever. And if they refuse, then you have the opportunity to sue them. And since you have the patent that says you own the idea, you would sue them. And, uh, you know, obviously if they take, if you go to court, you have to prove in court that this is your idea and the court has to accept that. There are cases where people can invalidate patents or, or whatever. I, I actually was just uh, listening to something today where a guy was talking about how um, somebody sued, he created a, a new, you know, one of those uh, home device, uh, home camera devices, like, yeah. like the ring doorbell. The now. Ring device, yeah. Yeah. He created something similar to that, but it was super, super cheap. So they were selling them for like $20 wow. to, because yeah. to make it like the ultra affordable version. And he got sued. They got sued by somebody who claimed they had the patent for, um, for like, you know, all camera, like in-home cameras. In-home cameras. Um, okay. But what happened was when that got taken to the, um, you know, to, to court, the judge determined that, you know, the concept of surveillance and the concept of having somebody, you know, something there so you can keep watching your property has been around, I think they said, since like the Roman times when Romans had watchtowers that would keep keep watch over their walls. Yeah. And this is like actually what in court the, the judge said. He said that because the concept of like keeping watch over your own property and, you know, for your own security is a concept that dates back to the beginning of time. There's no reason why somebody should be able to have one monopoly over the entire concept of being able to watch over things. So that patent was invalidated for that purpose. And the guy that was getting sued won the court case. So it is possible for people who have patents to not win, but that's because they took such a broad approach. They were suing anybody that had a camera in their home at all. So that's that's what patent rights are it's it's the right to you're the only person that could make use or sell your concept and if somebody else tries to make use or sell your concept you have the right to tell them to stop you have the right to sue them for any um losses and you could actually sue them retroactively for the money because they're making money that you're not because people are using your product over them yeah so i so what i get like out of that is that there is just a lot of things to learn about patents, basically. Yeah, there's just way too, that's just way too much information in terms of like for someone who's just starting out. So what we'd like, hopefully what we'd like to do is like when we get you in next time, we just do a deep dive into how patent hacks and its learning center kind of helps young inventors and like, you know, people starting up to understand like just these fine, like nitty gritty stuff here because that, that's pretty big. But what I'd like to like, so kind of like to round off here is how do you feel so how do you feel about the open source community versus the idea of patents because the open source community is where a lot of like newer tools are letting people get away from the cost prohibitive nature of building hardware and building tools because it's just very expensive to be buying the tools and making sure you can get stuff done so how do you think the open source community can benefit from something like patent hacks I think open source is fantastic. I'm a big fan of that because I like the everyone can do it type of vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, 
that's I, I don't really like when things are closed off. I understand for security reasons, you know, and protection why some yeah. people like that that model. But I I believe that collaboration always comes out with a better result. You know what I mean? Like when you could yeah. get when you get when you could you know crowdsource ideas from multiple people and crowdsource help from multiple people, it, it always makes things better in the end. I think, but. Um, in, in essentially the only, the only thing that I would caution people about with that is when you're, when you're doing open source stuff, it's always good to, you know, to work with people and collaborate, but you don't want to just give away all of your intellectual property. You don't want to tell people about your intellectual property. You don't want to specifically disclose your intellectual property. Cause we were talking a little bit earlier about using forums like Reddit or other yeah. sorts of for other sorts of forums to discuss engineering related topics. Um, one thing people don't realize is if you publicly disclose your invention, those public disclosures can be used against you when you're filing a patent. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's interesting. No. Yeah. So just saying something like, Hey, I'm developing a portable concussion assessment device won't yeah. do anything. But if I start to say, hey, I'm discussing, I'm, you know, I'm building a portable concussion assessment device. There's four load cells in the four corners and I got a force plate on top and a force plate on bottom. Somebody's standing on top of it and they're generating an output. And then that's going to go into a microcontroller and then that's going to be controlled. And then this is what's going to happen. Now you've broken down everything about how your invention works. And when that um, patent examiner is looking at your claims of your patent application and they're like, okay, so this disclosure that I'm reading online, it has mm-hmm. this, it has this, it has this check. They're going to be able to reject your patent application with an entire breakdown there. So that's what you want to avoid. You don't want to get super, super specific about how you're doing things unless there's someone you either A, really trust or B, it's not a totally public thing. You could have private discussions with people in private messages and stuff like that if you want to get more specific. Um, But generally, I would say, if you're going to explain to somebody your intellectual property, you always want to get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement first. So you have that legal document that protects you to say that this person's not going to talk to anyone else about it. And you have that protection that even if they try to steal your idea and go make it, you have a document that they signed that you were going to tell them about that concept. Um, so I think open source is great. I just think it's always smart to Dude. protect yourself. Yeah. Be don't a bit more cautious. Trust, yeah. yeah. Don't blindly trust people on the internet. Always think of yourself first. And in this case, um, yeah. you know, just protect yourself. And then, uh, and, uh, but I think, I think the concept's great. Um, and I think for anybody, you know, to answer the second part of your question about yeah. how it relates to patent hacks, I think, I think anybody who has an idea that they're passionate about and they want to, tr- you know, try to apply for a patent, but they don't have the tens of thousands of dollars it takes to, you know, hire a, uh, a patent attorney, yeah. it, you really can do it. Anybody could do it. I promise you, we make it understandable for anybody. But, but the, the one thing is you got to be willing to put in the work. This is one of those things where it's, this is one of those things where you're going to get to do it for 98% less than it would be to hire a patent attorney. But when you get in there, it's on you to do the work. So if you're somebody that feels passionate about your project and you really want to, um, you know, take it to, to market and you want to try to build a business around it, we're giving you the opportunity to do that, but you got to put in that work to make it happen. Oh, that makes yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Trevor, I'm gonna we're gonna cut off here. I want to really thank you for doing this because we do want to get into a deeper dive on how the patent process works, how 
you can educate yourself and we're hoping to get you back on for that in a few weeks but for now uh why don't you give us a shout out where we can find you and patent hacks online just for people who want to make sure they can just jump in and start educating themselves now yeah so you could go to www.patenthacks.com and that's p-a-t-e-n-t-h-a-c-k-s.com um, on there, we have free resources. So we got a bunch of free articles about different topics. If you want to just get started that way, um, we have that invention development form I was talking about on there. And then we have our learning center, which is a, um, a whole, like I said, it functions a lot like an ebook. It's a web-based yeah. patent education platform. Um, you can find me on social media, just trevor.skeen, uh, T-R-E-V-O-R.S-K-E-N-E and patent hacks, just at patent hacks on everything. Um, we're going to be putting around a lot of content, a lot of value added content coming up soon. Um, we're getting a studio set up in, uh, the end of March and into April. And then, you know, this, uh, summer in like the May, June area, we're going to be creating a lot of video content, trying to walk people through a lot of the introductory patent stuff. So a lot of the stuff you were talking about, trying to answer people's questions and, and provide a lot of value there. So you'll be able to find a lot of content coming out from us here pretty soon. Oh, that's awesome. Trevor, thank you so much. Uh, okay, folks, that's, I think, going to be it for this week. And you can check out the Makers and Shakers podcast on inventhub.io. And you can also check out Trevor at everything that he's mentioned. And we will be putting out links to both his uh, his personal uh, Twitter and his uh, and patent tax official Twitter, just so you can make sure you're on there, you're getting the information. And if you've got ideas in your head, you just get in touch with us or Trevor and, you know, just make it happen. So thank you everyone and goodbye.